Welcome to Your Vote, Your Voice, a podcast by the League of Women Voters of the St. Petersburg area, dedicated to discussions of voting, issues in democracy, and everything in between. I'm Lindsay Grove, public health practitioner and president of the LWB SPA. Hi, I'm Lisa Yaxo. I'm a higher education leader with a dozen years of experience in the field, and I'm the chair of the Media and Publicity Committee for the LWB SPA. We're so glad to be here with you tonight. I'm sure a lot of you know, uh, mail-in ballots are going to be going out soon, and there's a ton of people running for office this election, you know, on top of the fact that it's a historic election. And as I'm sitting here looking at all of the different people that are running, I'm starting to realize I actually don't know what their jobs entail. So today on this episode, we're going to demystify what each of these elected officials' positions are, what they do, and who essentially their constituents are. Yeah, because we found out um, with COVID and the recent protests about racial injustice and what's been going on, it's become more clear every day that our local elected officials are making critical decisions every day that are going to impact our health, our public safety, our well-being of our community. And so we need to know who they are and what they do. That is such a great point. And what, so how this episode is going to work, we're going to go through each of these um, elected official positions. And then at the end, we're going to relate them back to a couple of relevant issues that the league works on and that we know are really important to, you know, uh, residents in Pinellas County and in St. Petersburg. So I will start with uh, one of the first things that's up on the ballot, which is the state attorney for the Sixth Judicial Circuit. So what does this elected office do? Well, the state attorney is the chief prosecutor for the Sixth Judicial Circuit, which, by the way, covers Pasco and Pinellas County. The state attorney is the, it, you know, represents the state of Florida in that judicial court and prosecutes or defends lawsuits, applications, or motions, whether they're civil or criminal, and they do that on behalf of the state of Florida. It is the job of the state attorney to review charges and complaints to determine whether they warrant prosecution and trial. Um, In addition to these duties, the state attorney provides legal advice to law enforcement agencies within the circuit, working with the agencies to provide in-service training. So, That, I think, is really important because, you know, as we're talking about criminal justice, which we'll talk about later, um, the state attorney actually has a lot of power and discretion in how trials and laws are enforced in our community. The term length is four years. um, And we actually couldn't find whether or not there are term limits. So, you know, um, hypothetically, you could be reelected every four years. Um, so, So that's the state attorney. Um, and again, that's the sixth judicial circuit. So that's not the not the um, the attorney general of the state of Florida. It's just the state attorney for this judicial circuit. Great. And so, opposing the, that person, the state attorney for the sixth judicial circuit, would be our public defender. And so, a public defender practices 
criminal law and is appointed by the court for a particular case. And they can only represent indigent people charged with certain criminal offenses. That would be a felony, a misdemeanor, criminal traffic um, violation, juvenile delinquency, or criminal contempt, or those people who are held under the Baker Act or the Sexually Violent Predator Act. They're also, of course, being in the Sixth Judicial Circuit, going to be working only in Pinellas and Pasco County, and they also have a term length for four years. So those two people are probably going to see each other very often. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, uh, it's really important to have that public defender position because people who can afford to have legal representation, they, they have the right to have someone speak on their behalf in a criminal case. Yeah, and just to add to that, um, you had mentioned the Baker Act. And this is really important because the Baker Act is what's a lot of time used to involuntary commit somebody if they are a harm to themselves or to other people. And, you know, a lot of times this can be really traumatic for somebody, especially as we're dealing with a mental health crisis, not just here in Pinellas, but across the country. So it's really, I think, important um, that a public defender also really understand the state of mental health in, in our community if, you know, um, they're interacting with people that have been, you know, Baker acted. Exactly. And so then, of course, with the other person involved and uh, is going to be the judge. So we have judicial candidate races that are coming up as well for the Sixth Circuit um, in the circuit court. And so the circuit court is Florida's trial court of general jurisdiction. The Sixth Circuit includes, again, Pinellas and Pasco, and they have exclusive original jurisdiction in all of the following actions in which the matter of controversy exceeds $30,000, exclusive of interest and costs, proceeding relative relating to the settlement of estates, guardianship, involuntary hospitalization, determination of incapacity, and other matters re- concerning court of probate, in all cases in equity, including on all cases relating to juveniles except for traffic offenses, in criminal matters, The circuit courts have original jurisdiction in all felonies and all misdemeanors arising out of the same circumstances as a felony that is concurrently charged. Also, circuit courts preside over all cases involving the legality of tax assessment and cases of ejectment, in all actions regarding the titles or boundaries or rights of possession of real property, and in all other actions not heard by the county court. Family cases such as dissolution of marriage, child custody, visitation, domestic violence, and juvenile dependency cases are all also heard in the circuit court. Lastly, the circuit court also handles appeals from the county court, except those appeals that can go straight to the second district court of appeals. So that's a lot of different kinds of things. (laughs) Yeah. So if you're a judicial candidate, you probably should have, you know, a pretty wide variety of experience working in different kinds of law if you're going to, you know, be the judge of the Sixth Circuit. That's exactly right. Um, So it's interesting um, that their cases are going to be assigned randomly to a judge. So it's really important that they have a fair and impartial perspective and that we really listen to and find out what their perspective is. Yeah. And, you know, um, we just recently had our candidate forums for the judicial, um, 
uh, candidates. And it was really interesting because, you know, there was a lot of talk about, you know, experience in family law. And even here, there's, you know, discussion of whether, you know, involuntary hospitalization, um, determination of incapacity. So there's a lot of, you know, different types of law being practiced here um, that also really have to do with human behavior and, you know, um, you know, whether or not somebody has the ability to either take their own matters, you know, with their life into their own hands or, you know, so I, I would say that, you know, in order to be a judicial candidate, you really have to have a good understanding and, and have to be pretty empathetic because you're going to be dealing with a lot of, you know, family issues, personal issues. And events relating to juveniles, um, you know, so we really want to make sure that they're, you know, put on the right path and treated fairly um, so that they are not unjustly like harmed for the rest of their life by something that happened when they were a teenager too. So on to more riveting things, we have the tax collector. Um, and every time I hear tax collector, I think of Robin Hood and like, you know, like Robin Hood stealing from, I mean, I'm not saying that we should steal from the tax collector, but I just think of like the story of Robin Hood, right? Um, but, you know, the tax collector job is like a little bit more um, nuanced than just going around with a, a satchel full of gold coins and asking people to pay their taxes. Um, tax collectors actually direct, plan, organize, budget, and s- set and implement policies that impact their local government as well as the state. Tax collectors participate in the management of the executive branches of state government that include the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, the Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles, and the Department of Revenue, which makes sense. They're the tax collector. They draft and establish tax legislation, rules, and regulations regarding collection of taxes. They calculate and collect taxes levied by the county, school board, and any special districts that levy taxes. So in this particular instance, the tax collector is responsible for Pinellas County. And as far as we know, there are actually no, no term limits and somebody has to be elected every four years. So they work very closely with the elected property appraiser. A property appraiser is going to determine the value of the property for the tax roll. And if you are a property owner, that's a good thing and a bad thing. On the one hand, you want your property to be worth a lot of money for possible sale. On the other hand, if the, if the property appraiser thinks your property is worth a lot of money, that means your taxes are going to be higher. So, um, you know, it just depends on where, where you're looking uh, to keep your property or to sell it. Um, as, as a taxing authority, appraisers retain for at least five years original or true copies of all contracts engaging the appraiser's services, reports, supporting data assembled by and and formulated by the appraiser in preparing those appraisal reports, and they also submit budgets to the Department of Revenue. They have the authority to bring and maintain necessary action to contest the validity of any rule, regulation, order, directive, or determination of any agency of the state, including disapproval of any part of an assessment role or determination of assessment levels. So they're pretty important when it comes to figuring out how much money things are going to cost and what the appraisal is going to be for our county. They do work only in Pinellas County and their term length is also four years. Awesome. So, you know, if you've bought a really fancy house and it's been appraised by the property appraiser, you also want to make sure that it's covered by insurance and also that the fire that you're in, you know, a really good fire district that's well funded and is able to, I don't know, um, help you out in case, you know, something terrible happens. In Pinellas County, we actually have fire and rescue districts. 
Um, what a fire district um, does, so there's obviously elected officials for each of these fire districts. Some of the districts offer community engagement response teams. They educate volunteers about disaster preparedness for hazards that may impact their area and train them in basic disaster response skills, such as fire safety, you know, light search and rescue, team organization, and disaster medical operations. For example, on Lealman's district website, it says, services provided include, but are not limited to, fire suppression, emergency medical services, fire prevention, fire code inspection, fire investigation, and community education and outreach. So, you know, fire districts are really important, and a lot of times we think of fire districts as just doing the work of firefighting, but really they also provide emergency medical services and sometimes emergency preparedness. There are four different districts that are on the ballot this year. There is East Lake Tarpon Special Fire Control District, seat one, three, and five. Lealman Special Fire Control District, seats one, three, and five. Palm Harbor Special Fire Control District, seats one, three, and five. And then of course, Pinellas Suncoast Fire and Rescue District, seats one, three, and five. They serve four-year terms. And as far as we know, they actually don't have any term limits. So given that, you know, it's been a kind of a dry year, but also that we have hurricanes, having strong emergency response teams in fire districts, it would be good to know those people. Exactly. And now that we're, you know, with COVID, you know, they're obviously going to be responding to more calls, um, you know, for COVID-related diseases if people are in distress. So, right. so that's really important. Yes, Exactly. And so someone has to kind of keep track of all of this, right? And so that would be the clerk of the circuit court and the comptroller. Um, They are responsible for safeguarding all of our public records and funds. They serve as the county treasurer, the recorder, auditor, finance officer, and the ex officio clerk of the county commission. Um, So that means they're going to attend hearings and trials, file indictments, information and verdicts, process all civil and and criminal cases with their team, prepare appellate records, jury management, collect and disperse fines, court costs, forfeitures, fees, service charges, conduct mortgage foreclosure sales, and maintain custody of all evidence and exhibits entered by the course, as well as assist in completing paperwork required to do a small claims action assist in completing paperwork required to file petitions for protective injunctions, whether it might be domestic, repeat, sexual, dating, violence kind of things. They also issue process service documents if you need to get served um, by the court. They maintain a court registry. They audit guardianship reports and they audit child support payments. So that's a lot of different types of activities that are happening within a county that they're in control of and they are keeping track of for us. They also have the ability to enforce actions against or for residents and collect certain fees and fines. So right now with COVID, they're suspending writs of possession for mortgages or for evictions actions relating to non-payment at the order of, I believe, our governor. They are only responsible for Pinellas, and the term length is four years, and again, we didn't see the term limits online, but there are so many things in here that we might have to do on a, on a regular basis. We might have court, 
costs or fees to pay. Um, someone might want to buy a foreclosed house or hopefully not have a foreclosed house, but there, this is an, um, an organization, an entity that will be involved in a lot of really technical pieces within our, our government. Yeah, and you know, one thing that really stood out to me is the, um, you know, collect and disperse fines, court costs, and for- forfeitures, fees, and service charges. And, you know, when I think about that, I think of, about Amendment 4, yeah. right? You know, right now that's in limbo, but that was one of the, you know, uh, barriers for folks to be able to register is when the, you know, state legislature said, hey, they have to make sure that they are, you know, paying their fines and fees. The clerk of the circuit court and comptroller is the person that records that, at least in Pinellas County. So that person could, you know, potentially be part of systemic barriers to people being able to register to vote if they're a returning citizen. And so for those of you who don't know who are listening, Amendment 4 is? Amendment 4 um, was an amendment passed, and basically it allows returning citizens or folks who have served their sentences, nonviolent felons, to be able to register to vote because Previously, they were not able to do that. And in fact, if they did um, want to, they actually had to petition the governor of the state of Florida to be able to get um, their uh, civil rights back. So this allows returning citizens to re-engage with the civic engagement and and to vote in our democracy. Pending everything that's going on in regard to the fees and the court costs that Lindsay um, referred to earlier. Yeah, so speaking of um, our criminal justice system, um, we also, for those of you that don't know, we actually elect our sheriff in Pinellas County. Um, And what does the sheriff do? So the sheriff is the chief law enforcement officer of our county. Sheriffs are also responsible for service of all legal processes, so writs, warrants, subpoenas, and other legal documents directed to them by the courts or, or the county commissioners. And in many counties, they are the sole keeper of the county jail and provider of court security. Here in Pinellas, the sheriff also provides several other countywide services, including sexual predator and offender tracking, also known as SPOT, flight, civil process, misdemeanor probation, and child protection investigation. So that's a lot. Um, And, you know, in our county, we actually have multiple other law enforcement agencies, but the sheriff is elected. And they only oversee Pinellas County. Um, Their term limit is four years. And as far as we could tell, there are also no term limits on how many times a person can be reelected. We also have a school board here in Pinellas County that oversees the entire county. We are a huge school district. I mean, we are one of the most densely populated counties in the state of Florida, which is in turn also a very populous state. So what does a school board member do? Well, as the governing body of the Pinellas County School District, the school board is responsible for the control, operation, organization, management, and administration of schools in in Pinellas County. Along with its other responsibilities, the board determines the rules necessary for the district's operation and general improvement. They determine policies and programs consistent with state law and rule deemed necessary by it for the efficient operation and general improvement of the district. They also adopt rules and implement the provisions of law conferring duties upon it to supplement those prescribed by the State Board of Education and the Commissioner of Education. They prescribe and adopt standards and policies 
to provide each student the opportunity to receive a complete education program, including language arts, mathematics, science, social studies, health, physical education, foreign languages, and the arts. As defined by the Sunshine State Standards, they also have the ability to contract, sue, and be sued. The board also constitutes the contracting agent for the district. They can even assign students to schools. They have that ability. Again, they obviously oversee the entire um, county. I would like to also point out that there are at-large and single-member districts. And what that means is, so there are three members that are elected at-large by the qualified voters of the entire school district. So at-large means everybody elects them. There are four members, so there's this is a seven-member school board. The other four members elected are elected from single-member districts by the voters who reside in each of those member districts. So it's very similar if you think about it to, you know, the way districts work either as state representatives or even city council, right, um, as well as county commission, although none of those districts actually line up with each other. They're all different districts, which is kind of crazy. So each of those four members is required to reside within the single member district from which he or she is elected. All seven members represent the entire district upon their election. The board has the ability to appoint a superintendent who serves as as chief administrative officer for the school district. And they also employ the school board attorney who reports directly to the board. And so I know we'll talk about this a little later, but with COVID right now, the school board has been very active and people have been uh, attending workshops and school board um, uh, meetings lately this this week to determine how the school, uh, Pinellas County schools are going to be operating in the fall, right? Yep. So the school board has a lot on its plate right now. It certainly does. And so does the county commissioners. Mm -hmm. The state constitution gives the Board of County Commissioners the power to adopt ordinances, which are local laws, to approve the county budget and set millages, which are taxes, tax rates, um, and establish the requirements for the departments under its control. The board governs all unincorporated areas of the county directly, and municipalities may call upon the county for specialized services that they need. The commission does not have control of the budgets or the policies of the school board. Those are two different entities and two different um, elected groups. They do, however, approve support funding for court services insofar as county funds are concerned, and they approve the budgets of the clerk of circuit court, the sheriff, and the supervisor of elections. So they're kind of an overseer because they get to approve that budget. Budgets for the tax collector and the property appraiser are approved by the State Department of Revenue and filed with the Board of County Commissioners. The commissioners also serve in other key roles and other boards for the county. They serve as the Emergency Emergency Medical Services Authority, the Fire Protection Authority, the Mosquito Control Board, the Countywide Planning Authority, and the Water Navigation Control Authority. So what geographies are they responsible for? Well, in 2000, 
we um, started having new, actually technically in 1999, we started having um, new um, districts. So once again, there are seven commissioners, similar to but with different districts in the school board. Three again are specific residential districts that are elected countywide and at large districts. And four are elected from single member districts with only the voters within that specific district being able to vote for those commissioners. So once again, with COVID going and everything that's been going on, whether or not the beaches will be open, what what is um, happening in terms of um, protests and um, racial injustice, there's been a lot of places that the county commissioners have been very active lately. And, you know, one office that we actually didn't mention is the supervisor of elections, right? That's a race that's coming up. And that impacts all of these, right? The ability to vote on, you know, each of these offices, um, as well as, you know, understanding how how our elections work, right? The supervisor of elections is really, really important. And in fact, they actually have a lot of discretion locally on how they administer elections. So uh, in our county, for instance, you know, there's been a huge push for vote by mail. And the supervisor of elections in turn has actually provided paid postage to um, vote by mail ballots, which is huge. And that doesn't happen across the state of Florida. But again, because our supervisor of election um, is really pushing vote by mail, they saw this as a way to reduce another barrier for folks to be able to send their ballot back in. Yeah, another um, decision the supervisor of election makes is how many early voting sites will there be and where can you drop off your vote by mail ballot. Um, And so, you know, currently there have been only three early voting sites um, and you used to have to, if you were dropping off your vote by mail ballot on election day, you had to go to the supervisor of elections office and there's only three of those, right? And so they're actually working to provide additional places that we talked about last time um, where that you'll be able to drop off your vote by mail ballot. So making voting accessible um, and, and doing everything they can to not suppress the vote while maintaining appropriate voter rolls, as Stephanie mentioned last time, that's really critical. Agreed. And so we're going to start, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that, you know, are, I think, on everyone's minds right now. So the three things we're going to talk about are public health, immigration, and criminal justice. And of, of course, there are lots of overlaps between those three things. But we sort of wanted to talk about each of them in the context of of the positions that we just went over. So when you think of public health, you may not think of the tax collector, but the tax collector is really important because they essentially figure out the budget, right? So again, when we think about our public health infrastructure, right, how do we fund the health department that's local? How do we make sure that there's enough money for emergency services and management? The tax collector is really important because they are the ones that are determining how we use tax revenue across the county. And so, you know, we see that in how we collect money for the school district. And the school district obviously has a lot of public health functions as well. Um, But we really, you know, I I think about all of the masks that we're giving out right now. We want to give out as many masks as possible. And that's coming from the health department. Who pays for that, right? I definitely would challenge you that when you get your um, tax bill at the, you know, during the time of the year that they send out their tax bill, look at what your tax bill says, because that is the tax collector sending you essentially, hey, this is all of the services that we, that you pay for that are being rendered in the county. 
And you'll see like the health department is on there. Juvenile welfare board is on there. So, you know, the tax collector is really important. In fact, I think the tax collector is probably important in all three of these areas. Um, Fire districts. I mean, of course, we're going to think of public health with fire districts because no one wants to get hurt. But in thinking about it from a broader sense, it's really important to have a well-funded fire district as temperatures are rising. And not only do we have temperatures rising due to climate change, we're also, we also are seeing an aging housing stock, which means that there are more risks for fires because of old electrical, you know, other things um, that, you know, come with an aging um, house. So it's really important to have a well-funded fire district to, to make sure that we really address those um, challenges. And we also need to rely on emergency medical services for public health crises like COVID-19, um, even the opioid epidemic. A lot of times first responders are the ones that are right on the scene when somebody ODs and has to use Narcan. And also they're there for natural disasters like hurricanes. You know, again, this is fueled by, um, you know, more severe weather events due to climate change. And so fire districts are really going to, you know, need to be well-funded and well-staffed and have leadership that really understand the systemic changes that we're, you know, experiencing either in the physical environment or in the social environment. Lastly, I'd like to point out, at least under public health, school board members, right? You know, like Lisa said earlier, there's a lot of discussion going on around how do we reopen schools in the midst of a pandemic? And we need school board members that um, understand and, and um, are making decisions based on looking at the public health science. And, you know, school boards make decisions like that. And, and in fact, they're making decisions like that right now. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of other decisions that the school board has power, you know, in making, including the health and education of our children, whether that's in hiring and approving nutritional menus for school cafeterias, school health curriculum like sex ed, um, and also how, again, to handle a pandemic or any other infection control. So, you know, I would say the school district is really, really important in matters of public health because as a huge school district, it's not just our children that we really need to keep safe. It's staff, it's administration, it's teachers, and it's families. Well, and going back to that, it's the whole—it's the whole culture, the whole community of a school. It's also important to the school board as going to be um, in impacting immigration mm-hmm. um, and people and their safety. So, what decisions they make in terms of when um, the police might be called—that's um, going to impact whether or not a someone might be um, taken into custody or might be end up in ICE custody. Another area, of course, the county sheriff is going to be very involved. Um, in regard to ICE, which is Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, they have a lot of discretion over whether or not they're going to cooperate with ICE at the local level. If someone's going to be held at the local level and then later be picked up by ICE, um, the person that's elected to this position has the authority to make that call. Some counties have chosen to cooperate with ICE and others have not. At this time, I believe Pinellas County is. And so, you know, we want to be thinking about immigration and the safety of everyone um, when we're voting. Yeah. And even, you know, not to go back to public health, but you think about um, COVID-19 in, in, you know, the context of jails, right? How are they handling infection control in confined spaces? You know, that is really, really important as we're incarcerating folks. Um, You know, we've seen in some places where they're releasing people that, you know, have had minor charges because it's just a huge public health risk. So then another area that's 
critically important and, of course, related to the sheriff, but also to the state attorney, is criminal justice. Um, so if their job is to determine who's going to be prosecuted, right, they have a lot of leeway in determining how much police brutality is going to be fought against and how many um, people who maybe were arrested unjustly are, are can be set free or not. Um, and so if they're going to be prosecuted. So I think that attorney, state attorney position is um, really critical for um, moving our social justice efforts forward. Agreed. You know, again, I think that there's there's a lot of different ways that you can relate any of these elected offices um, to a lot of the different things that are going on. And, you know, we just touched on, you know, criminal justice, public health and immigration, but there's so much more. So one way you can really become educated on each of the candidates for these elected offices is by using our voter guide. And that's the League of Women Voters of St. Petersburg area and North Pinellas. If you go to vote.lwvspa.org or pinellasvoterguide.com, goes to the same address, you can see our beautiful online voter guide. And we ask questions of all of the candidates from every single race that Pinellas voters will be voting on um, so that you can sort of, you know, better understand what their positions are. So, you know, take some time, definitely go to our voter guide and also check out our candidate forums. This year, because of COVID, we are hosting our candidate forums online and we'll be posting them on Facebook. There'll be Facebook live events, but we'll also have them recorded. We're using ASL interpreters to ensure that it's accessible for people who are deaf or hard of hearing. And we're also providing captioning later on. Um, and our candidate forums will be evergreen. So you can, you know, check them out at any time. And I encourage you, if you are located outside of Pinellas County, go to Vote411, because they are the League of Women Voters voter guide in all the other areas, um, and as well as um, check out what the League of Women Voters in your local area has to say. Yeah, so that is really our episode on, you know, hey, what does a comptroller do? Because, you know, before this, I definitely did not know what a comptroller was. In fact, like I kind of thought it had something to do with computers, which makes no sense. Um, although maybe someday in the future, there will be an elected official that has to do with technology. Wouldn't that be nice? That we can be- have a CTO of the county. Chief <laughs> technical kind of officer. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been great, Lisa. Thank you so much um, for being a great co-host. Thank you, Lindsay. I've enjoyed it and we are looking forward to next time. Awesome. Now, please remember, if you haven't already registered to vote, you can do that online at PinellasVote.com. You can also request your vote by mail ballot there as well. Now, remember, PinellasVote.com. Please make sure you do it. And even if you're like, oh, my gosh, am I too late? Can I still register? You can still register. Do it ASAP. Do it right now. Um, And, you know, you can also request your vote by mail up to 10 days before the election. So you have time, but do it now so that they don't get overwhelmed. And, you know, give yourself some time to get on the voter guide and look things up while you got your, you know, you got your ballot in one hand, you got your laptop on your lap, and you got your coffee in the other. Take some time. Become an informed voter. That's what we're all about. Your vote is your voice. Make sure you use it. Don't forget to follow us on social media. The League of Women Voters of the St. Petersburg area is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many other podcast directories and podcatchers. Like us, review us, and subscribe. It helps others find us and makes our podcast better. You can reach us at office at lwvspa.org or on our website at www.lwvspa.org. Remember, your vote is your voice. This podcast is produced and written by the League of Women Voters of the St. Petersburg area. Remember, your vote is your voice.